please turn so long to the book of First Peter. We'll get there in a few moments' time. Now, as a run-up or a preamble, I'd like to say, well, why are we focusing on one Peter and two Peter? And I think it's important to share with you how this kind of just developed. And the reason is then maybe you would have a sense of the importance and the significance. And this is how it developed. Towards the end of last year, I was reading a few verses in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is a powerful chapter, and there's a couple of verses in there which are really powerful. And as I was reading this, I thought, wow, these verses are significant. These verses are really relevant for this day and age. And I sense that the Lord was specifically highlighting these verses in my spirit. That's how I sense the Lord speaks to me on occasion. And then I decided, well, let me look at the, uh, the book of 1 Peter as a whole. And I began to see so many good themes that were covered there. And I felt this would be hugely beneficial to the body at Choose Life Church. It would be beneficial to have a sermon series on 1 Peter and 2 Peter, obviously, as well. This also linked in so beautifully with our theme this year, which is growth and blessing. Please say growth and blessing. So it fitted in beautifully with our theme because we can really grow through a good, solid sermon series. And so this is kind of how the Lord has led me to be sharing on 1 Peter and 2 Peter with you. And then I had a lovely Special little confirmation, a further confirmation on Tuesday. Tuesday I was at home, nobody else was at home. I was preparing in my study and going for it, really getting into the preparation and enjoying it. And then at about half past 10, I decided now I want something to drink. So I went to the kitchen, I put on the kettle and then I thought, well, I want some almond nuts as well. So I grabbed the little jar and I wanted to put a couple of almond nuts into this little bowl. And we've got a specific bowl, and I know where it always is. And so I was opened the cupboard, and I looked in for this bowl, and I, I couldn't find it. I thought, that's strange. It's always here. This is the bowl for my almond nuts. And uh, so then I couldn't see it. Well, I thought, I don't know what. Anyhow, so I reached in deeper, and I couldn't see. And I felt, oh, there's another small bowl. And I pulled out this little bowl, which is like a pottery bowl. And as I take this bowl... I read on it, it says 1 Peter 2 verse 2. Now we're talking about Peter. 1 Peter 2 verse 2. And I thought, God, you know how to confirm things in an amazing way. I have never used this little bowl for my almond nuts. Can we thank the Lord for that confirmation? Such a lovely confirmation. And 1 Peter 2 2 says basically that we should desire the milk of the word that we may grow. <laughs> Growth and blessing. 1 Peter. So I humbly submit to you that focusing on 1 Peter and 2 Peter is not my idea, but this is God's idea. So therefore, if that is the case, let us be open to what the Spirit of the Lord wants to teach us. Please be open, child of God. Let us be receptive. It makes a difference when your heart is receptive to the Lord. So here we go. 
The book of First Peter, this is part one of our series, which will continue for many weeks to come. And in today, we will look at the first half of chapter one. So here it is, 1 Peter chapter one and verse one to 12. Let's begin reading. Are you ready? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, that's right next to Cappuccino, <laughs> Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So here's the greeting. And he ends off with saying that, and I say to you as children of God today, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Amen? Amen. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Please say living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Verse five, who, this is you, are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. In what? in the salvation, in being born again, in the inheritance. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though, now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of, manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering these things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And we say the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. Please shove the person next to you and say amen. Good. I'd like to ask you, please keep this passage of scripture open throughout our whole time of sharing. We'll refer to it several times. Four points that I wanna look at 
based out of this passage. Firstly, number one, an introduction to the book of First Peter. It does help to know and understand the context. And I would encourage people to also write notes, take note of the things that are being said. An introduction, firstly, under point one. So this book carries Peter's name. Why? Because Peter was the author of this book. Now you may ask, well, who was Peter? Who was this Peter? Well, do you know that this was the same Peter that was one of the disciples of Jesus? And he was part of Jesus' inner circle together with James and John who were referred to as the sons of thunder. This, folks, this letter that we're reading today is written by the same Peter that walked on the water with Jesus. The same Peter that cut off the high priest's ear. The same Peter that got up boldly on the day of Pentecost and he preached boldly on that day. Yes, he had denied Jesus sometime before, but he had been restored in several ways and now there he is boldly. He's standing up amongst the apostles preaching. It's the same Peter writing to us. And also it's the same Peter who even healed the sick by his very shadow. Wow, what a remarkable person. And I think of this, Peter must have learned so much in those three years that he walked with Jesus, and therefore we can learn a whole great deal from Peter's writings. Another couple of things about Peter to get a feel as we go into this book. Peter was known as a key leader in the early church. He guided the church in Jerusalem through its early years, and later on, God called Peter to take the gospel further afield beyond the borders of Israel. We know that Peter was writing this letter from Rome, which he referred to as Babylon. Why? Because it was symbolizing a corrupt government. That's why he called it Babylon. And his audience seemed to be a mix of Jews and Gentiles, but mostly the majority were probably Gentiles. It is also interesting that Peter wrote this book 30 years after, approximately 30 years after the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost, he gets up and boldly preaches. Then he's so focused on the church in Jerusalem. And then 30 years later, he is writing this book. And it was written to a number of believers that were dispersed throughout a number of regions in Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. Why have they been dispersed? They were dispersed because of persecution. And kind of to draw the introduction to a close, well, what is the big idea here? I've said a lot of things now, but the big idea is that Peter was aware that these believers were being persecuted and harassed. He was aware of that. They were being harassed by their Greek and Roman neighbors, and so he decided to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. Peter had such a heart for the people of God. He finds out that they're suffering, that they've been persecuted, they've been mistreated, and he says, you know what, I have to write to these guys to help them to be able to stand even in times of persecution. By the way, nowadays, have you noticed Christians in this day and age we are experiencing increased hostility from the world. Come on. We are. 
And so I believe that we can learn so much from Peter's writings on how to handle such persecution. So that's number one of four things, an introduction to the book of First Peter. Point number two, we are born again to a living hope. Please say this aloud with me. We are born again to a living hope. A little bit louder. We are born again to a living hope. In verse three and four, if you look in your Bible, as you go in a little bit into verse three, it basically says the following. God has begotten us again. Do you see those words, begotten us again? That's an old-fashioned way of saying born again. God has begotten us again. We are born again to a living hope. Jump on to verse four. To an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, out of those verses, I'd like to say one or two things. Firstly, the aspect of born again. This is very important. Listen to me. Being born again is the gateway into a completely new life. It is a whole, fresh, new beginning where we become new creations in Christ Jesus. It is a completely new, fresh start. There might be some people sitting listening to me today and you don't actually know what it is to be born again. When you're born again, you become alive to God. Suddenly the things of God become alive to you. And we see that Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 verse 3, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, that's been made spiritually alive, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, you cannot experience God's realm unless you are made alive to God and that is a supernatural work that God does. You cannot make yourself born again. In the same way that you couldn't, be, you couldn't cause your physical birth in the first place. And your spiritual rebirth, which is where you made alive to God, is a result of the supernatural work of God. And realize this, the moment that you are born again, in that moment you become dead to sin and you become alive to God. What an awesome privilege to be spiritually alive. That's why people in this church worship like they do because they understand something of coming out of death into spiritual life and God says the time is coming in our ears when the true worshipers shall worship me in spirit. What's that? You are made spiritually alive in spirit and in truth because you know Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is what God is speaking about. Reborn, made spiritually alive. But I think what an awesome privilege to be spiritually alive. Amen? Amen. Now, living hope. Would you please say living hope? We are born again to a living hope. I love that phrase, living hope. And there's a song that we're gonna be teaching you in the next few months, which uh, it's a full Wickham song talking about Jesus Christ is my living hope, you're my living hope. And I specifically am wanting to teach this to the congregation, so when it comes to Easter time, we're gonna be singing this song and understanding what it is all about. So we are born again to a living hope, but living hope, what does that mean? Sounds good, sounds wonderful. 
Well, it means that Jesus was raised from the dead and is now alive. And Jesus is the person in all in whom all our hopes reside, all our hopes rest in Jesus. And he is the person that is living today. We serve a living Jesus and therefore Jesus Christ is our living hope because our hopes are in him and he's alive. He's our living hope. Do you realize this? As sinners, we had no hope beyond the grave. We were facing a certain death because the wages of sin is death. But listen to this. But because Jesus was raised, you have to know, we also shall be raised because Jesus was raised, and that is what God has promised. And so this should cause us to be very excited and full of joy. God is not a man that he should lie. He has promised, and he said that he would be raised, and he has been raised. Our assurance is that we will be raised. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ. That's what the living hope is all about. And now, because of that living hope, we don't have to worry that the grave is the end because it's not the end for the believer. We can live with great expectation. We can have confidence for the future. And we know as well that we will live with God forevermore. Give the Lord a hand of praise. We are born again to a living hope. We're alive. Hallelujah. Number three, the trials we face cause our faith to become pure. Please say this out aloud with me. The trials we face cause our faith to become pure. Isn't that interesting? Think about that for a moment. Now firstly, verse five, look in your Bible at verse five, and there's this little phrase which says, who are kept by the power of God. Please say the word kept. Who are kept by the power of God. You know what is this is actually a wonderful thought because it tells me that God is preserving you. God is preserving you. He is keeping you until the day when our salvation will be fully manifest in heaven. And let me put it to you this way. You have been saved when you came to Jesus. You are continually being saved and the fullness of your salvation will be manifest when you see Jesus face to face and suddenly you become like him and you enter into the glories of heaven forevermore. And so this is a process, but in this process, God says, I am keeping you by my power. So let me tell you this. Even if persecution is to become more severe, and I suspect that in the next 20 years, persecution against Christians will become more severe, even if it becomes more severe, the believer will endure and remain faithful because of God's keeping power. In John 10, verse 28, Jesus says, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And then this lovely part, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That is an amazing picture. And what, what can we learn from that? Realize, child of God, that you are safe. You are safe. Your destiny is assured, it is secured. There is no better place to be 
then in the hand of the Father God, and you are eternally secured. And so this is an encouragement to me from 1 Peter this morning, because we are being kept by the power of God. Maybe sometimes you thought, will I be able to remain faithful to the day of Jesus' return? And I want to say, yes, you will be able to, because God is keeping you. And he is keeping you and he will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Blessed be the God who is able to keep us from falling. Praise God, you're gonna, you're gonna see it right through to the end and you're gonna hear Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, child of God, don't get quiet on me this morning, amen. Hallelujah. Now, verse six and seven, have a look there. It says a little bit into verse six, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Do you see that phrase in your Bible? You have been grieved by various trials. Is there anybody that can relate to various trials? You've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you say, okay, just make it simple for me. What's verse six and seven saying? It's basically saying that you have faced various trials. These trials are developing your faith, purifying your faith, and one day it will bring glory and honor to God. That's what it's saying. I'd like to say this. Not all Christians, I believe this, I could be wrong, not all Christians will face or will be persecuted for their faith. I don't believe every Christian will be persecuted. But I do believe that all of us, everyone, will face trials, discouragement, despair in our life. Now, I'd like to ask you two questions. Listen carefully. Here's my first question. The question is this. How many of you can say that you have faced persecution at some point in your life for your Christian faith? Raise a hand nice and high if that's you. Actually, a lot of hands going up. How many of you say, well, I haven't faced persecution for my stand in Christ but I have faced trials and I have faced discouragement that God has used to purify my faith. Raise a hand if that's you. Far more hands going up. Listen to the statement, suffering is like a fire that can purify our faith. Now, when we face trials, child of God, I want to say this, we must keep trusting in God. Are you listening to me? In this year, should you be facing some serious trials, may I encourage you to keep on trusting God and we need to believe that God has a purpose, His purpose for what we are going through and though we may not understand the reason, maybe not even in this life will we understand the reason, we need to keep on trusting God knowing that His ways are higher and I will trust Him, I will trust Him, I will trust Him. Even though the heartache is so real that I'm experiencing and as a church family, we express our love and our compassion to Mariska Sigalas. Mariska, right over there, together with the family. And this week, they lost Paul. Paul's been part of our church, Paul Sigalas. 
and he had some infection that had developed and sadly after some time in hospital he passed away. It was not a COVID situation. But they understand right now about hardship and we express our love and our compassion to you. We love you as a church. But God, I believe, can use this for good and he can work a work in your life and I believe that you will discover his faithfulness in a new way. And you know what? God is a father to the fatherless and a judge and defender of the widow and we support you and we love you. Give them a hand of support, please. Now listen to this. You might not like this statement, but based on one Peter, which I've been studying, I believe that this is true. Here it is. We need to learn to accept trials as part of the refining process in our lives. I know that's hard, but the Bible says count in all joy when you face trials and testing of different kinds because basically it's developing you and making you perfect. And so when we can learn to accept trials as part of a, a process that God does in our lives and we respond in that way, we are actually becoming mature children of God, mature sons and daughters of God. And do you realize that trials burn away impurities? They burn away impurities like self-reliance or self-centeredness. Trials teach us patience. Trials teach us uh, endurance, and here's an important one. Trials help us grow. <laughs> now, we're talking growth and blessing this year, and it could be that in this year that there may be some things that you face which are not easy, but God can use them to fashion His image in you in a greater way. Be mature, child of God, and say, God, I'll embrace what you're doing in my life, and thank you that you're gonna use it for good. Also, trials develop us into mature sons and daughters. Trials prepare us to meet Jesus face to face. And let me say this. It is easy to be a Christian when things are all smooth, when the sailing is smooth, when things are going well. But the real test comes when we face hardship and difficulty. Then we see if our faith is pure and genuine. And you know what I believe one of the things is? When we face hardship, you can choose to become bitter or you can become better. When you face hardship, instead of being bitter, what do you do? You say, God, I trust you in any case. I don't understand why we were involved in this motor car accident. I do not understand it, God, but I believe in your character and I will still trust you. That is how you guard over your faith and you watch over your faith. And can I say this? Realize this, or do you realize this? Your faith is extremely precious to Father God. It is precious and therefore your faith should also be precious to you, child of God. Watch over your faith, guard your faith. It is important, it is crucial. But I have some good news, listen to this. Trials only last for a while. Now come on, that's good news. Thank you God. It's not gonna last forever. And even in the trials that we face in this life, life doesn't last forever, trials do not last forever, but I have good news that the glory of God that you and I will experience will endure forever and ever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. Praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. On to point number four, the last point. 
we get to experience a salvation which the prophets long to know more about. I'd like to ask that you say that with me out aloud. We get to experience a salvation which the prophets long to know more about. Now, verse 10 to 12 in this passage is considered one of the key passages according to some theologians in 1 Peter. However, I found it quite difficult to understand and read it easily in the New King James Version. So let me take you to the NLT for a moment. It won't be on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Those in your Bible app, you can just click on NLT. Here it goes. Verse 10, 11, 12 in the NLT. It's quite simple to understand in this version. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and His great glory afterwards. Verse 12, they were told, they were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now, this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. I love the way that that is rendered in the New Living Translation. But notice the phrase, it is all so wonderful. Say that with me. It is all so wonderful. And that is true. Talking about our salvation in First Peter. Our salvation is wonderful beyond description. It is all so wonderful. And sometimes what happens in our life is we forget the amazing miracle of being saved and washed and cleaned and made righteous before God. And that's why I pray that for some of you that have lost your joy because you've lost your salvation, not, not lost your salvation, lost the emphasis on appreciating your salvation, I pray that God would restore to you the joy of your salvation. Because do you know that if you live with a realization of the joy of your salvation, it helps you endure in life. We should be excited all over again about being born again, about this grace that we have from Christ. And so this salvation, written about you in 1 Peter, do you realize it was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets? They wrote about it, they prophesied under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but they couldn't figure it out, they wanted to know more. In fact, they were amazed at the prophecies that God was giving them. They had many questions. They wondered about what these things meant. But the things, listen to this, that were hidden from the prophets are now fully revealed to the New Testament believers, to you and I. And that is so wonderful. As a result, I would say that Peter was effectively saying, how can you be so discouraged, child of God, when you have seen the fulfillment of the prophecies? How can you be so discouraged when things that the prophets of old long to see and righteous men long to see, you are getting to see this and realize that we are living in this age where we get to experience the fullness of God in our lives. It is so encouraging. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 13, verse seven. Listen, 
Many prophets, this is Jesus speaking, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And desired to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so I'm drawing to a close. And I want to say this. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Do you realize how blessed you are? Because I'm also so glad that I'm not living in the dark ages. I'm glad I'm not living in the times of the Old Testament. Yes, it would have been great to see the, you know, Noah's Ark floating and all of that, but I'm glad I'm not living in that time. Anybody else, you're glad you're not living in that time? And the prophets of old, they longed to know about the grace. They wondered, they speculated, but they couldn't figure it out. Even the angels longed to get a glimpse of these things, but we get to fully experience salvation. We get to experience it. Somebody say hallelujah. And so I wanna end off by saying what an awesome privilege that we live in the age of grace that we live in the age of fulfillment. And so I boldly declare that indeed, as God prophesied in Luke chapter four, that this is the year of the favor of the Lord, where his blessings and his grace profusely abound. Now go ahead and give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm praying that hearts this year are gonna be set more on fire than ever before. There are some hearts amongst us that have become lukewarm, and I pray that the fire of God would begin to burn in your heart like never before in the name of Jesus. Stand with me, please, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name at the end of the service. Lord, we just wanna thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the anointing of the Lord in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. We honor you. And Lord, we wanna be people that don't just hear it, but we do it and we live it. Lord, I pray that you would bring revival to Choose Life Church. I pray that you would set our hearts ablaze like never before. I pray that people that are compromising would stop compromising and put you first, unashamedly so. I pray that there will come a new hunger for the Word of God, a hunger for the things of the Spirit, a hunger to worship God like there has never been. But I just know, Lord, that something is happening this year and it's according to your good will and your pleasure. And we say, be it unto us according to your Word, your will, your way. We love you, we love you, we love you, Jesus, we love you. Now just begin to pour out words of thanks and praise to the Lord. Speak out aloud, just say, Lord, I love you, I bless you. Thank you, Lord. Do it in my life, Lord. Work in my life. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And I say, the Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of His smile upon you and give you peace. And we all say, amen, amen. God bless you, everybody. Bless the Lord.